Talk Radio Show brought to you by People G2, a company dedicated to helping all businesses with their people-related decisions. They do that by giving clients access to the best human capital, due diligence and background checks available, unprospective candidates, business partners, tenants, and more. To learn more, simply visit www.peopleg2.com. Today, we're privileged to have with us the founder and president of People G2, Chris Dyer. Hey, Chris. Good afternoon, and thank you for joining me. Again, my name is Chris Dyer, and I'll be your host here for the next hour on the Talent Talk Radio Show. We have a great lineup of guests here today, and also a great uh, lineup throughout the year planned for you. And we hope you'll tune in uh, each Tuesday here and uh, listen in. The Talent Talk Radio Show features a wide range of guests who care about talent management leadership development, and company culture. So to kind of explain a little bit better, in the business world, the word talent kind of has a couple different meanings. And the first is how it relates to success and how really talented people achieve success. So, you know, what is it that makes them tick? And the second is how talent relates to human resources and how HR leaders, who tend to be some of the most talented people we know as well, find the best candidates for their company. So this show looks to explore those two different areas and how they cross over and and mingle with each other, along with how talented individuals can impact a company's culture, something that I'm always fascinated about. So the guests on the show, when you kind of tune in and listen, will typically include CEOs, HR executives, entrepreneurs, coaches, you know, authors, just all kinds of great, you know, business leaders from all different industries. And what usually happens is I'm at a networking event or a conference, and I have the privilege of meeting you know, other inspiring leaders, and, and so I created this forum to allow you to listen in on our dialogue and hopefully learn some practical advice that will help you cultivate talent, develop leaders, manage your culture, and most importantly, impact your own career in a positive way. So I want to thank those, all of you who are tuning in live uh, here every Tuesday, if you have a good question for one of my guests, we'd love to try to ask them. And you can submit your questions via Twitter at PeopleG2 and use that hashtag Talent Talk. My producer, Mike, can try to feed me in those questions and we'll work them in as time allows. We also love to get those uh, question suggestions just any time and we can think about putting them into future shows or if you have suggestions on uh, future guests as well. We'd love to hear it. Uh, don't forget, you can listen to the podcast of this show, which is actually how most of you end up listening uh, and subscribe to have that uh, show sent to you each week just pop open that iphone or ipad or android or whatever it is and look up your your podcast uh, app and look for talent talk you can join as of last week the 170,000 subscribers that are downloading the show each week we thank those of you who are tuning in and listening and engaging with the show it really means a lot to us all right all the business is done out of the way we can get to our guests we have two great ones one new guest and one actually a returner from very early early on in the show. We're going to check in uh, with him. But my first guest is uh, Margie Rodino, uh, the VP of Global HR at Sloan Global Holding. And then we'll talk to Steve Goldberg, uh, Global HR Consultant. Steve will join me in the second half of the show. But let's go ahead and uh, welcome in uh, Margie. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much. I'm happy to be on the show. Well, we're happy to have you on the show. Uh, so tell us a little bit about yourself uh, and, of course, uh, what your company, uh, Sloan Global Holdings, does. Sure. Chris, my entire career, which has been over 30 years, even though I'm, I'm very young-looking, it's been um, in the human resources field. They hired you at six, right? Right, exactly. 
Um, it's it's an absolute fantastic profession for the seventh child out of eight. So I come from a very big family, and let's face it, that's an incredibly great training ground. I have worked in both privately held and publicly traded companies from 25 employees all the way up to 45,000. Wow. I have experience in multiple industries, um, manufacturing, telecom, banking, and and consulting as well. And and so, what what is the kind of the primary area where Sloan is then helping people, you know, on a regular basis? Sloan is just an incredible uh, place to be. Um, I am the head of. Uh, the HR function at Sloan, and Sloan is a a leading manufacturing of commercial plumbing systems. Most people would recognize Sloan in many commercial restrooms. Mm -hmm. Um, We recently uh, took the naming rights for Sloan Park, which is the Cubs Park in Mesa, Arizona, and we have been around for 109 years. So we opened our doors in 1906. We're at the forefront of the green building movement with our water-efficient products, and we are a fantastic employer. Well, I uh, certainly recognize the name. I mean, I know a lot of those... uh uh, this is probably not the most the best uh, radio talk, but you know some of those urinals <laughs> have the uh, little signs about like saving all the water and stuff. And so I, I, Sloan definitely sticks out as kind of the one that I think of that you you see when you're when you're in the restroom and or in, with different plumbing type uh, uh, things. And, and you know, I think it's really interesting what you wanted to make sure I commented about you being you said you seventh out of eight children. It seems like a lot of our our guests who are in HR tend not to be firstborns. They tend to be somewhere in the middle or towards the end. Now, I, there's nothing scientific about my observation here. This is just, you know, from what we've heard. But it seems like, I don't know if they're, like you said, you're maybe in the middle of, of putting out the fights or organizing everybody. Or where do you think, how much do you think of a role that played in you deciding to go into this field, kind of where you were on a birth order standpoint? I think it's, uh, I actually think it's played a huge role. Chris, what you kind of articulated is you really learn lots of uh, things. You have lots of tools in your arsenal when you're one of many children. Mm-hmm. I mean, every personality is different. Um, the needs and wants uh, that you have are so unique and individual, which is really what human resources is about. You really have to have the ability to traverse through lots of different, unique, individual, diverse populations and do it effectively. And you're not the biggest and strongest, being at number seven for probably most of your time as a child. So you have to figure out ways to negotiate and get what you want without you know that brute force that us firstborns uh, are tend to have. <laughs> Great observation. You are absolutely right. <laughs> I'm sure my brothers uh, didn't appreciate that, but I usually got my way just by that brute force. So, which is probably why I became a CEO, I guess. So, that's, that's right. Yeah. Well, I know as a you know VP of Global HR, you're, you're kind of tasked with executing HR strategies on this kind of global level in a way that supports the business strategy of the company. So, what are some of the challenges a global company faces in this area that maybe a domestic company does not have to deal with? You know, Chris, I think that's an interesting question, and I think that I'm not as convinced that there are as many differences as there are similarities. And the reason I say that is when you're working um, domestically, many times you're moving into new states and you're moving into uh, different 
regions in a particular state, counties. And so you really have to be adept at understanding state law versus federal law. Mm -hmm. It's not that much different, although it's more complex because you don't understand international law. It's really not that different than traversing a domestic environment. You have to establish a culture that you want um, to lead and for that culture to be pervasive throughout the company. But I really struggle in there being a huge difference conceptually. I think there is tactically, mm-hmm. because interla- international law, you, you definitely have to be, when you're in Asia, you have to know that there are contracts that you're dealing with when you're dealing with employees. Where in the States, that's probably by exception. That's the top tier of your employee base. So I like to think of your culture is really pervasive throughout your entire company, but your regional nuances, you really have to to be agile and flexible that your policies, procedures, whatever you guide yourself, your guiding principles, are flexible enough to adapt to those cultures. Well, I think it's a great point because, you know, it's not like you're starting off in Belize, right, and then some tiny little area where, you know, you have only a few little regulations to deal with and then trying to then become a global company. Probably, you know, uh, traversing, as you said, those the differences in the states and the counties and the state. I mean, we have so many laws that are so different. You can literally move five feet from left to the right and be in a different place now, and the laws are, are drastically different for business. So I, I think you're you're very you're very right. Maybe the, the language is different. I mean, you're dealing with some, you know, different cultural. Aspects you brought up the contracts, so there may be some additional things like that. But which I guess, from the level of complexity, it's not a whole lot different. Is that, is that kind of what you're saying? It, it, uh, that is what I'm saying. I think that you know you, you have to be, you have to understand where you're going, which is we want to create a particular type of environment, and then you have to run all those tactical things through that microscope. You know, right. does this? Are, if we value employees, are the things that we're doing in this state and in this country consistent with valuing employees? Right. Absolutely. Well, if we look at it, maybe then from a strategic leadership standpoint, you know, what do you do then to set milestones and objectives for your team to ensure they are performing up to the standards needed for the company, regardless of if they're here in the states or? Yeah, you know, they're in England or they're in France or wherever you guys, you know, are, are pushing your operations. Chris, you you are hitting a topic that I'm incredibly passionate about. Um, I am one of those firm believers that you get great results from setting fantastic plans and executing against mm-hmm. them. So I look at the way we add the most value is by cascading our goals from our strategic plan. So at Sloan, we get together as an executive team every year, and we establish the strategic plan. We're not always timely, so, you know, it could be very stressful for our employees if, like in 2015, we're behind the establishment of the plan, but the plan leads and guides each area and each process and each function's way to manage their goals. So, for instance, in HR... 
we looked at what is the most important things for the business in 2015. We want to innovate. We are an incredible innovator. We like to get new products out, deliver those products to our customers, meet customer needs. So HR is looking at, well, how are we going to help in the innovation? We help by creating goals around the talent that we bring in. What what is the talent that we need to innovate? So, for instance, this year we've added um, we've added Wonderlike as one of our uh, testing tools to really look at a specific role and determine what are the attributes that that role has been found to be most successful, and that's that's how we guide the selection process. So that's one of the ways that we look at at. Um, how we set the goals. Mm-hmm. And of course, you have to really plan well. So I think it's really important that you correspond those goals with very distinct project plans and specific deliverables. Yeah, and it sounds like you're probably using lots of different metrics and, and different ways to measure results, which is important. But, but I, I kind of want to maybe jump to another area. I know that sometimes HR people have to really deal with, and, and maybe you're being seven of eight uh, children maybe helps with this, but you, you HR is asked to wear a lot of different hats. Uh, you know, compensation and benefits to compliance to collective bargaining, and then to then you know help you execute strategic plan, uh, employee engagement. I mean, it, it really is in my mind the most diverse department there is in a company. Um, so. But out of all these different areas, and maybe ones that I didn't even mention, is there a particular aspect that you really enjoy the most? I mean, you mentioned really having a strong, you know, kind of desire around or or fascination around leadership development and that strategic uh, leadership standpoint. So, but is there a particular area that you really enjoy doing the most? I think there's, um, I would have to say there's two that I really feel are, are just really set that make a difference. Um, the first is change management. I have worked in the change management arena probably since my second job, um, and I believe that it's so important because everything in this world is changing. So nothing is the same. Nothing, you know, the software, the you come into work and the the you know, vending machine has been moved from one side to the other side. Um, it's no longer wellness, it's well-being. So your ability to change and to lead through change, I find that to be a, a characteristic and a thing, a, a item in which we really, really have to expound on, no matter what company you're at, what industry you're at, and what level. And what goes hand-in-hand hand with that, I believe, is employee communication. I I can't say, you know, what the value of a good, strong employee communication plan is because employees need to know why and they need to know what effect it has on them. It's all about me. Let's face it. It's all about me. So those are the two areas that I I really, I absolutely love. So in that change management area, how do you get those slow adopters. I like to call them the flip phone crowd when I give some speeches sometimes. You know, it's that crowd that would still be using a flip phone if the numbers hadn't fallen off and, you know, 
that they could still actually buy one of those phones. They wouldn't have ever moved to an iPhone or an Android. So how do you get those slow adopters, the ones kind of dragging their feet, or if, maybe they're afraid of change. Maybe they're just not as technical. Maybe this is a particular area that's become more technical for them, and they're feeling worried. You know, communication is great, showing them that, you know, what the value is for them. But at some point, there are certain people who are just predisposed to being a little bit, you know, slower in the moving, changing department. So are there certain things that you do to help kind of facilitate that process a little bit faster? I, I think you've named um, resistance in a great way. Um, sometimes you have to, you know, you have to look at what you're coming from. I mean, I when I came to Sloan uh, six years ago, what I realized was this is just a phenomenal culture and environment. It was more, it's familial, there's loyal, people persevere. And one of those things that they don't do is change easily. So... One of the things I think you have to recognize is there's a time and place for everything. You just can't come in like a, a loose cannon. You really have to take your time. You have to realize that some people are never going to come on board, and you might have to make those tough calls, mm-hmm. and some people are going to come on board right away, and you use those as your champions. Because there's a, there's a ton of tools. I've used Price Pritchett early in my career and I you know I swear by the quantum leap and you too and I use ProSci now which um, has an ad car model and they're phenomenal tools but they don't change what you're saying which is you can't force anybody to change you have to provide them with the rationale and the background and you can nurse them along but you have to know when to cut the cord and and that's one of the tougher decisions you have to make as a leader. Well, I'm, I'm so glad to hear you say that because that is one area when people have asked me that question, I, I usually give them advice. You know, you want to take your time. You want to make sure you're doing it right. You want to make sure that the change really is needed and helpful, you know, in general to what the company's overall goals are. And if you're confident in all that and nothing has changed along in that little journey that you're going through of change, if somebody won't change and you've communicated to them until you're blue in the face and shown them how it's going to help them, you may have to let them go, you know, or they might need to go to a different part of the company or whatever. There may need to be some major change for that person. And that's the area I always see people kind of, you know, their mouths kind of open. They, they, they really, they, you know, it's like, yeah, if, if you really want that lasting change in your company, you have to be willing to make that tough call if it comes down to that. And people have to know you're willing to do that. As, as a, that's a little bit of the, the the firstborn motivation I talked about, having that little the bit of the power too, to say we, we're going to make this happen no matter what, and you know we're going to be open and willing to talk about it and test it and to you know argue about it, but in the end, if it's still good, we're going to do it. So I'm really glad to hear you say that because that's a I think a huge component of success for people. I think that people re- don't realize that. The employee who's struggling through the change isn't able to say, I can't get there. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you have to force the hand. And I think it's really hard to force the hand um, when these are loyal um, employees who've been with you for a long time. It's difficult for them to make the change, and it's difficult for them to let go. Right. Right. 
I mean, can you use an example? You know, we were we were lucky that for many people, the the typewriter and then the computer. They had to learn how to use a computer, but they were still typing, right? But you can imagine if someone couldn't learn that new skill of using the computer, that suddenly the one skill would then become outdated. And in this day and age, now we would say, well, of course, they, you're going to get somebody else. But when you're in it, you're going through that that process and technology is changing or the skills are changing you know people don't always see it that way i guess when you're in it so it it can be difficult well um so we talked a little bit about hr strategy which i know you've developed for sloan and uh, what was your hope for culture you know for the company you talked about you know some of the things that you're doing and and how much you like the culture when you came in but you know from a strategy standpoint where are you really looking for that culture to, to go um, I think that's a great question, Chris. I, it's so hard when you have, you know, a company of 109 years. I mean, obviously they've stood the test of time. So I kind of look at where we, when I came in six years ago and where we are today is I've just been putting icing on the cake. I look at it, the things that they were doing, I'm enhancing. Um, if there was, and, and when I say that, we've, we had a nurse here um, on staff that we all adored here at uh, Sloan, and we then made a decision that we really need an on-site clinic. So all we did was we progressed to the next level of what they were already doing. We said, you know, an on-site clinic would expand our reach to the employees' families and allow employee families to come in here and maybe at some point even the surrounding area um, in the Franklin Park community. So when I look at, at where I've had impact, it's really been... Again, this icing, um, you know, we have flu shots at Franklin Park that we offered for free. Now we do it in all locations. Uh, we had Pilates, and now Zumba's the, the hot thing. So we've upga- updated. And I think the other thing is, you know, plumbing's not a sexy thing. You know, oh, plumbing, wow. Um, so what we've tried to do is really say, hey, this is a great place to be at. For many other reasons, it doesn't have to be that you're just looking at plumbing industry, but more you're looking at my well-being, and this is a company that's focused on my well-being. So I think that the things that we've touched are really progressive things that enhanced already existing core values. Oh, yeah. Well, then that's, that's so, so important. We sometimes have the opposite. You know, we, someone wants to come work for us, and we tell them we do background checks for companies, and they they get really interested. It sounds, I don't, sexy is not the right word, but it's interesting. And we have to kind of tell them, well, it's not as interesting as you think, or at least that's not going to last more than a few weeks. You, you, you know, you can only find out so many little curious little things about people until it just becomes second nature. And it's the rest of what we're doing and the rest of our culture that needs to be aligned with you or what you find engaging and you know and the people that you want to come and work with every day um so it's it's it, it is an interesting correlation there to kind of think what you said um i want to make sure because we're getting close on time here that we asked you um uh, one of our favorite questions to ask our guests because they usually give us great answers so hopefully you, you can uh, live up to that expectation here um and that is what are you reading right now Oh, I'm reading a great book. I am reading um, The Culture Blueprint, and um, the book is by Robert Richman. It is, it is such a great book for HR practitioners 
the book starts out, I, I haven't even finished it, so when you say reading, I am literally reading it. Right. Um, but the, the book starts out with a lot of concepts around culture. And, and the author has done a ton of work with Zappos, which everybody knows is just got a fabulous culture. And he talks about what are the concepts behind creating that and what they've done to instill it and to continue it and to foster it and to inspire employees. And then he takes that and he makes it practical. Um, he makes it operational. So I'm now into the weeds. I'm into the part that some of us HR geeks love where we need the directions. Mm-hmm. You know, we need to know how to do it because it all sounds good on paper and it all sounds great academically, but I'm now into the meat. And I think that's what's so great about the book because you're just not getting the concept. You're getting the how-to. Right, right. Well, and that's great because everyone, when you read a good book like that, you want some of those takeaways. You want some of those how-tos. Um, I can't tell you how many times I've read a book and you get down to the end and you go, but wait a minute, this all sounded so good, but you didn't tell me what to do or how to even think about going about trying to do this. You just, you know, kind of left it up to me and that can be a little frustrating despite possibly being inspired or, you know, enjoying the story. Um, that's exactly right. Yeah. Well, um, if, uh, people are interested in learning more about your company maybe they want to come work for you or uh you know or check you guys out what's the best way for them to do that Oh, there's so many great ways to find out about Sloan. Um, our website is obviously www.sloan. It's S-L-O-A-N, valve, V-A-L-V-E, dot com. And then me personally, anybody, I'm, I'm open to receiving email. And so I have uh, my emails, Margie, M-A-R-G-I-E, dot Rodino, R-O-D-I-N-O, at Sloan Global dot com. I also have a blog, which is um, the HR Dish, and it is medium dot com slash at the HR Dish. Very cool. Well, we'll also put all of that information into the blog recap that we do on our site, along with the book that she is reading. And uh, in case anyone's interested in checking that out and didn't have a pen and paper out, they can. Probably in the next couple of weeks, get that on the uh, the blog recap. And uh, I'm not sure if anyone's ever told you this, but the word Sloan means elephant in Russian. So every oh. time you keep saying, I keep thinking elephant because I learned that when I was in Russia. But anyways, I didn't a, know that. Yeah, I, it's well, probably not it's probably not spelled great. the same, but you know, the, phonetically the same. So <laughs> yeah, well, that is that is a great. Um, obviously, has a lot of positive uh, attributes associated with it. So that's great. To yeah, know. yeah. Definitely. I'm, I don't know anyone that doesn't like an elephant. So That's right. Exactly. <laughs> well, we didn't have time to get to a lot of things today, but I really appreciate you being on the show. Hopefully we can have you come back at some point and we can you know, dive into the rest of it and find out uh, how you're doing, how the company's doing. Thanks so much, Chris. I really enjoyed being on your show. I appreciate having you. Uh, my next guest will be uh, Steve Goldberg. He'll be on after this quick commercial break. <laughs> 
Imagine what it would feel like to lose everything. Your job, your home, your family, your dignity. This has happened to thousands of the men, women, veterans, and young adults we serve at Working Wardrobes. What do we do to help? We provide career development services, life skills workshops, job skills training. We provide the perfect interview outfit, and we get clients placed in jobs. Call Working Wardrobes, 714-210-2460. Donate, volunteer, invest, hire. When it comes to pioneers in their respective industries, we all know the Apples, Starbucks, and Trader Joe's of the world. In the realm of recruiting, Decision Toolbox is the industry's best-kept secret. With 90% of their business from referrals and repeat customers, for over 20 years, Decision Toolbox's U.S.-based team of recruiters, sourcers, professional writers, quality personnel, and tech support has perfected a Six Sigma approach to talent management. No matter the size of the project, Decision Toolbox delivers incredible results. A cost per hire less than half of what contingency firms charge. With the winning candidate presented in an average of 14 days. All with a 12-month candidate warranty. With results like that, Decision Toolbox won't be a secret for long. Visit us at www.dtoolbox.com for more information. Welcome back to the Talent Talk Radio Show. As a reminder, if you have any questions for my next guest, you can send them uh, via Twitter, at Twitter, or not at Twitter, <laughs> at PeopleG2, and use the hashtag Talent Talk. I'm thinking about too many things at once here. And uh, you can also uh, send us uh, any questions you have there. If you want to listen to past shows, you can go to talenttalkradio.com. And uh, you can actually hear Steve's first appearance. Uh, I think it was a good uh, year or year and a half ago, at least, uh, when Steve was on last. But I asked him to come on the show today. We originally had somebody else scheduled who had a, a urgent uh, matter come up. And I thought it'd be fun to have Steve come back on because Steve and I are actually going to be uh, in June here. Uh, I think it's the 17th in New York together, and we will be uh, we're ju- judging uh, employee engagement together, and we're also going to be panelists at the Employee Engagement Awards. So, uh, Steve, welcome back to the show. Thank you, Chris. Happy to be back. So, why don't you tell everyone a little bit who doesn't know you, uh, a little bit about yourself and, you know, some of the things that you're currently doing right now. Be glad to. So, uh, for the better part of uh, 30 years now, I've been... Um, in the HR domain, the uh, most kind of uh, functional areas within the domain and, and, and quite a few roles as well. So uh, whether it be global HR practitioner, head of uh, product strategy at PeopleSoft about 14, 14, 15 years ago, uh, headed up HR systems for investment banks. And more recently, like for the past eight years, I've been advising HR leadership teams and HR technology teams around strategic plans, things like analytics, HR, M&A, you know, the people aspects of mergers and acquisitions. And uh, the last thing I'll say, and this is how uh, you and I met Chris uh, probably about five years ago, I've also been advising HR services and solutions companies that I thought had something special to offer to the market. And and now uh, through all this, we're going to end up uh, at the uh, the engagement awards together. So maybe uh, 
I'll let it come from you. Maybe uh, you can explain a little bit about what this conference is, what you know about it, uh, you know, uh, how we, uh, how this kind of uh, all came about. Sure. So um, there's a media company in the U.K., um, and uh, they're associated with a, uh, a website where professionals and executives in the HR uh, domain can uh, can collaborate, interact, share information, best practices, etc. So that website is um, called HR Zone, Z-O-N-E, and um, and again, they're I think they're owned by a media company. It's kind of it's kind of like the uh, UK counterpart of, of HR.com uh, or Human Capital Institute. So uh, they last year they put on an employee engagement conference in Europe, and it was uh, I'm told widely successful. So uh, they're now doing their inaugural employee engagement conference and awards dinner uh, June 17th in New York City. And as you said, you and I will uh, be representing, uh, as it were, and we'll be uh, on, on a panel and we'll be uh, among the judges. So there's various awards being given out, and I, I was really uh, pleasantly surprised to see how many organizations of all types submitted entries um, to... Uh, essentially demonstrate that they care a lot about employee engagement in their company and uh, and they're committed to it and they're investing in it. Um, and, you know, organizations, again, across the spectrum, really big companies, MetLife, Comcast, Ford, uh, not, not-for-profits, the ASBCA, and lots of uh, services, organizations, many of the big hotel chains. So probably 40 or 50 of these organizations submitted entries uh, along different categories. So the one that you and I, as you know, are judging is the use of technology uh, to help improve <clears throat> employee engagement. And, you know, there's other there's other categories such as uh, best employee engagement project of the year, best employee engagement company overall, best international employee engagement project, and so forth. And, um, and I think employee engagement conferences and attention and the media and the articles and the white papers out there that we're seeing uh, really in abundance, you know, an abundance of these days. It's it's in direct response to, uh, I don't want to be overly dramatic here, but there's there seems to be, according to all these surveys I see, like from Gallup and others, uh, we have a, a pretty serious problem in this country, and really it's not just limited to the U.S. It's, it's the problem of the... Uh, you know, disengaged workforce. And just to give you, you and your audience a couple of numbers here, uh, when I saw these, I was just totally taken aback. And uh, so we're talking about 70, 70% of the average workforce is disengaged. And within that 70%, uh, 20% are actively disengaged. So, uh, you know, this is a problem that's costing the U.S. alone. Yeah, think about how bad that is. Seventy percent. I mean, my, my wife's a teacher, and they talk about you know having. They use different words for it, but essentially, what they're saying is disengaged kids, and yes. that number is much lower. You know, you have a you have the, a, a minority of the kids. Uh, you know, a small fraction of the kids are maybe disengaged or having some sort of problem. Most are relatively engaged, and yet we're talking about a workforce that is seventy percent not engaged, and twenty percent are just. Right pretty much sitting at their desks, you know, patting their fists and, you know, making yeah. everyone's life hell. And, yeah. and, and we're not, and, the, and it's not really being talked about, it's not being addressed in a way, 
that it probably should be. And really, we should have sort of almost a revolution around this idea because we could have a, a workforce that is doing better, that is performing better, and is, uh, to their own benefit, a heck of a lot happier if we could fix this problem. Yeah. Well, you know, it is being talked about, but the movement, so to speak, is in its infancy. You know, the, you mentioned uh, the classroom situation. I, I, when I think, when I saw this, uh, these findings from the Gallup uh, group, I, I, I immediately thought of like a rowboat, like a rowing team, mm-hmm. 10 people on the boat, and out of the 10, you have three. Three of the 10 are actually focused, they're committed to success, they're really giving it their all. Three of the 10. Five of the ten are like admiring the scenery, and two are perhaps hitting other people over the head with the with the paddles and or rowing in the other direction. I mean, uh, I'm yeah. not trying to be glib or funny here, but that's the reality. Yeah, and and, and people don't really realize that. Uh, and I think maybe some of the problems is, is it's not ten people, right? So with ten people, it's pretty easy to see the two that are screwing around and really making everyone's life hell and you can see who's not really working but we have an organization with maybe a thousand people so you had a thousand rowers you've got a fraction of them spread out and you're not seeing it easily you're not noticing it and things just kind of seem to pass by and go on and maybe you just keep focusing on you know the ones who are really who really are pulling the weight so you have that that those 70 let's say or 700 out of a thousand that are really pulling hard Right, but or excuse me, not seventy. 30, thirty. You have three of them. So thirty percent are really pulling hard, and we're just trying to motivate them a little bit harder. We're trying to make them work a little bit better, and that's not really the problem. It's everybody else. Right? Well, you know, you're right, and it's a balancing act because you can't. Uh, you, you know, you have to focus on the disengaged group with the right tactics and tools, and um, and and kind of understand what's what are the underlying factors. Um, and you have to focus on the engaged group to make sure they stay engaged because they're pulling, you know, more than their weight. So um, I actually find it really interesting. And, and you know, the, the the panel and the judging that you and I are doing at that event, again, it's, it's, it's June 17th in New York, and we don't get a cut, so I'm just promoting it because I think it's a good event. Uh, you know, so we're sitting on this panel uh, and judging the use of technology. And, again, this is wide open uh, territory um, you know most of the solutions out there don't really focus on the core reasons why employees are disengaged you know they don't feel uh, like their values are aligned with the company they don't have a good relationship with their boss maybe they don't feel valued and more often than not the number one cause of disengagement is they don't feel like the company really cares about the employee's career uh, growth so if you think about it Technology isn't intuitively associated with with a bunch of those, but but we're starting to see uh, we're starting to see some signs that you know the smart people in the technology industry and the HR software business are 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 kind of stretching their imaginations to think about how to deploy technology to solve some of these things. Well, the website is E E Excellence, so there's actually three E's there at the beginning, but E E Excellence dot com. You can uh, go to the site there, and I'm sure there's still tickets left. And if you're in, they're going to be in the New York area and want to attend that event. It's an all-day event and uh, awards dinner. Uh, I'm sure that they will be happy to have you. And you can meet Steve and I there. Uh, otherwise, you can click on the Judges tab and see our ugly mugs. Uh, we're, we're listed there on the on the site. But uh, I know one of the things that I'm excited about doing is this panel discussion about this, the use of technology in there. So 
you know, what are some of the things that you think will be important to bring up for this discussion? And certainly anyone on Twitter, if you have uh, any other suggestions, we're happy to hear those. We'd love to get any of that feedback uh, to bring to the table to that conference. But what, what are some of the things you're, you're, you're kind of thinking about in, in, you know, kind of heading to this uh, panel event? So I, I'll mention two things. You know, a lot of people just, you know, from a common sense perspective, you know, they think about social media and uh, corporate social media and the ability to collaborate and connect with, with folks, even to potentially um, identify who might be a mentor, who might be doing the same job that could help you with your uh, kind of traversing the onboarding curve. I, to me, it's uh, it's not clear-cut that social media and, and you know, leveraging cor- corporate social networks is the answer, is the be-all and end-all. Uh, clearly, you know, people will enjoy being at work and doing that, but, you know, there's a productivity question, too, and there's a retention question. So, uh, in my mind, uh, the holy grail uh, is when you, you know, is ratcheting up not just employee engagement, but retention and productivity. And the use of social media, and when I think about it, it's uh, you can get social media anywhere, so it's not necessarily a strong retention hook. And as far as productivity, I don't think any uh, manager or, or leadership team wants uh, employees just, you know, playing games or fooling around all day. Now, granted, there are uses of corporate social media that are going to be valuable to the employee and the business. But when I think about the purest type of technology application that can really help employee engagement, and mind you, I I really have no stake in this. I'm just an observer. It has to do with uh, kind of managing your own career growth as an employee, and that's what they're looking for. That's the number one carlet of uh, of employee engagement. So how, how can technology help with that? I guess there's a few ways that come to mind. One is if the company can inform employees about, hey, you know, what jobs lead to other jobs? How long does it typically take? Uh, What are the competencies that are needed? And how do you stack up against those competencies? And if there are gaps, here's what we can do collaboratively to help you. Uh, I, I think that any company... Any company's management team that presents the case that way uh, to an employee, it it just symbolizes so much. Uh, And then if they can execute on that kind of value proposition, it'll work wonders. You know, one of the things I was thinking about uh, to maybe talk about and heading into this was, is there something that has to happen at the leadership level, you know, or upper management level to get people a bit more comfortable? And, and I'll explain what I mean by that. You know, if I look at, again, my wife's getting mentioned quite a bit on today's show, but uh, if you look at teaching, you know, people want to complain about tenure, but one of the great things about tenure is that when someone feels a level of comfort that they have a job and that they, you know, they're not going to be, you know, fired for some ridiculous reason, you know, tomorrow, they can spend a lot of their time helping to mentor and work with other people and and do jobs that aren't as glamorous and aren't as fun or aren't as, you know, because they're getting paid what they're going to get paid and they have their tenure so they can take on different things. Their mind can now travel to other areas that are really important for, in this this example, the school. But for in business, I think a lot of times leaders are very much worried about the politics. They're worried about, you know, will they have a job next year or do they need to start looking for their next job? And I think that gets a, in, gets in the way of employee engagement because why should they be worried about employee engagement 
why, you know, maybe and even deeper than that, why should they be trying to keep those people who are trying to maybe come and take their jobs to stick around? You know, so is there a level of us having to think about this type of of thought process or the things the organization needs to do to make their leaders feel comfortable in focusing on engagement and comfortable in focusing on mentoring? I mean, what are your thoughts? Yeah, so it's really a great question. And one of the reasons why is because when we use the term employ or the phrase employee engagement, we think of employees, we don't think of managers, but managers are employees, obviously. And uh, most of the studies I've seen in the last couple of years show that the same uh, degree of disengagement applies to managers. So, you know, if, if you think about some of the reasons why disengagement has become such a huge issue, uh, one of the reasons has to do with um the fact that we have three generations working side by side in the workforce, and each of those generations uh, is motivated by different things. They care about different things. You know, uh, an early-stage career person uh, might be thinking about something very different than someone that is uh, within five to ten years of retiring. But mentoring connects the two of them. So mentoring benefits both. The person that is within five to ten years of retiring wants to still feel valued, wants to still feel that they're making a difference and that what they've amassed in terms of skills and learning is uh, is, is being put to good use. Uh, and, of course, then you have the early stage person that they're mentoring uh, that uh, it's certainly going to have a direct uh, positive impact on their career and on their productivity. So, I mean, this, this is, to me, it's a no-brainer. Organizations should really support mentoring uh, it's a way to connect, uh, again, the, the, the different generations and their disparate the kind of personal drivers, if you will. Um, and as far as people feeling insecure about people taking their jobs, look, at the end of the day, you don't have a job if the company's not, if it's a, you know, a for-profit company. If it's not profitable, you don't have a job. And, and, and employee engagement directly plays into uh, productivity and profitability. Yeah, when you're out there doing your best job and you're really making those around you better, uh, you just don't see those kinds of people getting replaced. You see the people who are trying to keep their job, playing politics, and not trying to help everyone else around them. They're the ones that end up getting, you know, moved along or, you know, or, or move along themselves. So I think, you know, we think of some of those great leaders that we, we've had or we, we can observe. They seem to be doing just as much for everybody else, if not more, than, than, than anything on, on their own, you know, to kind of help their own career. Uh, they're constantly mentoring. They're constantly engaging. They're constantly, you know, uh, providing that support and leadership to those, you know, around yeah. them. Um, yeah, and, uh, and I guess I'll play kind of armchair industrial psychologist. I, I, <laughs> I got a degree in that in the 70s from what I remember about it. But, you know, and you brought this up earlier. Uh, or at least uh, it was uh, implied, and, and that's it's, it's the notion of insecurity, and um, you know, and, and it, it causes territorialistic behavior. It causes people to pull back and not try to help out a colleague. So, <laughs> you know, what, what, if we think about well, what's all the insecurity about? Well, again, multiple generations in the workforce, and also exacerbating the problem is that companies are typically like restructuring every two or three years the average mm -hmm. company goes through a major overhaul this just causes insecurity for everybody so I, I think that leadership teams and, and HR executives really need to think about when they go through transformations which is like the what you know 
the word of the uh, of the decade is uh, you know the, the program of the decade is HR transformation, but just those words alone make the majority of people in the workforce nervous and distracted. So really, you know, uh, it, it's the case for change has to has to be sold to employees and managers in a way that really resonates with them and is going to kind of remove that that insecurity that's that's going to paralyze them, frankly. Well, and I guess the real question will be is, will technology be able to somehow address that? Or is this, you know, just come back down to, you know, maybe makes it, you can be more social in certain ways through technology, but maybe it's access, maybe it's helping people understand who does what and who who do I need to talk to, who do I need to engage with to be able to get my job yeah. done. I mean, I'm not really sure what part of technology would maybe really solve this. Or, you know, do we need to go back to, like, you know, Old school, soft, you know, company softball games where like you just get people together who yeah. wouldn't normally be together to be interacting with each other to kind of eliminate some of those negatives that we've been talking about. I think it's both. Uh, definitely, we don't want to make uh, company picnics and softball and bowling leagues obsolete. I think they serve a, a humongous uh, benefit. Um, but. But in terms of technology, again, I'm you know I'm just kind of throwing rocks at social at corporate social media before. But one of the real tangible um, kind of applications and, and uses of it in terms of dealing with you know this disengagement problem is real is, is to think about who influences whom in an organization. It's almost like a social network analysis. Uh, again, if your boss, if you don't have a good relationship with your boss, that's why many people leave. But if I have a mentor and if I have people that can coach me and influence me outside or inside my department, um, you know, then if I'm a good employee, the organization has the tools and the wherewithal to retain me by doing some sort of, I don't know if this is the right term, but like a social network analysis, who influences whom. Uh, and if you're going through a transition uh, in that organization, uh, who's critical for the transition? Uh, who's going to influence me if I'm resistant to change? Uh, and and kind of target target different groups for for different sorts of tailored tactics. Maybe the case for change has to be adapted differently. Uh, maybe people's jobs have to be redesigned because in the new world order for that organization, uh, their skills don't match up. Whatever, but technology is is giving you is opening the door to a lot of information. Uh, and a lot of potential for analyzing these things if it's done right. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. And, you know, in looking at the companies that we had to evaluate, and I, I won't really mention any, I'm not sure how much we're allowed to, to say on that end, but certainly you could see a really wide range of approaches, but some very original uh, ways in which they were trying to improve their engagement um, by utilizing technology. Um, and... And, and obviously, you know, we saw some clear winners in there. Uh, some, some. Well, they were all winners, but uh, all kind of real champions and kind of you know leaders yeah. in, in that group. Um, were there any particular things that stood out to you and kind of what you saw about some of those top yeah. performers in that group? I'm so glad that you asked me that question. And for <laughs> the audience, for the listening in audience, I will tell you, Chris and I did not uh, speak at all about you know beforehand uh, before uh, he called me up and said, "Am I available today?" Uh, but I'm so glad you asked that question. I'm not going to mention the name of the company either. Uh, but it was, uh, it just, it just, uh, bowled me over with, um, kind of, 
you know, it, it's not such a, it's not such a, uh, um, a, a, an idea like, you know, you're going to go, wow, how did they think of this? It's really a practical uh, thing to do. So what this company did was, for service awards, when people are celebrating a 10-year anniversary, a 15-year anniversary in the organization, these days it's probably more like three years and five years, but uh, when it's a significant milestone anniversary, uh, so basically um, they use their corporate social media and they have like television sets throughout, you know, the cafeteria and the different uh, public spaces in the organization uh, and even, uh, you know, locations that are in the field, for example. And, and basically people that know the individual that's celebrating this significant anniversary, they just go on, uh, you know, they go on video and they talk for 30 seconds about the person, their favorite story about working with that person. And so the, I think they call them stories or, you know, and, and they're, of course, uh, triggered by somebody celebrating one of these anniversaries. But can you imagine how great it must feel for that person that's just celebrating five years or whatever to see people that they've, they didn't even realize, perhaps, that they were having a, a, a great effect on people and or that, you know, that their presence was felt by so many people in a positive way. And when you get 20, 30 people going on, the, you know, kind of the internal TV network and talking about a great experience they had working with you, I mean, that that's just a beautiful thing. It's not, again, it's not complex. It's not rocket science. But, uh, you know, if companies are committed to employee engagement, they're going to come up with things like this. Yeah, you have to just go back and say, how can we find ways to to meet those goals if we want to make people feel happier if we want to celebrate people we want them to feel like they can go and learn whatever that 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 goal is then you go back through and you find common sense ways to do that and sometimes technology can help you be more efficient with that uh we certainly saw some great examples of that but it's that common sense going back and and figuring out how do we do that how do we make it happen um, it sounds like they're kind of doing like these big events, like a big kind of a, you know, a macro event on a five-year anniversary or three or whatever it may be for them. And that person, right. that person's probably riding that wave for several years. Um, That's right. and, and they also get a lot of exposure internally, you know, uh, for a company like mine, we kind of use the opposite approach. We're doing these constantly doing these little micro events. So these constantly, these little times to say thank you and recognize someone on a daily basis. Um, so we, we're doing it in a different way, but that works for our organization as, you know, but for that organization, it works great for them. And that, that's the important lesson here is to figure out what works best for your company and, and for your staff. That's an excellent point. It's an excellent point. Culture is not a cookie cutter situation and, uh, you know, uh, achieving, uh, um, certain types of business results is not going to be a cookie-cutter situation most of the time. Well, Steve, I really appreciate you uh, coming on the show here for us, uh, especially because it was last minute, and uh, I'm looking forward to uh, us connecting on uh, June 17th, and if anyone wants to join us, the uh, EE Excellent, uh, excuse me, Excellence, EE Excellence uh, Awards uh, is the... uh, website i think i might be saying that wrong we'll double check it here it's the uh yeah, right. eexcellence yeah dot com uh and uh you can go there check out the employee engagement awards and uh, steve and i will be there and uh i look forward to seeing you then perfect all right nice chatting Chris, and uh, take care everybody all right thanks. thanks steve that's about all the time we have uh for today's show uh i want to thank again my guests uh, margie Rodinho of Sloan, and also Steve Goldberg. He's a uh, global HR consultant. Tune in live next week, 1 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. My guest will be Brittany 
Hodak, a co-founder of uh, ZinePack, and Leslie Manley, uh, president and CEO of uh, International Management Systems. Until then, do what you love and show the world how talented you can be today. You've been listening to Town Talk Radio Show, brought to you by People G2. 